you can continue to stand with the vulture funds or you can finally say that this stops now. First time buyers, 500 a week drawing down their mortgage, the highest we've seen since I was in my late 20s. What have we done to try and help those people? If this happened in Dublin, should be sorted. Hello again, I'm Anya Lawler. This is Your Politics, RTE's weekly politics podcast coming to you from Leinster House this rainy Thursday. Sandra Hurley, Tommy Meskell and Paul Cunningham are with me and... I mean, the big news of the week, it's really dominated everything else in politics, has been the passing of uh, John Bruton. And there were two tributes in particular that stood out, I think, in the, those we've heard over the past few days, Paul. Um, obviously, his brother, Richard, standing up in the Doyle chamber, talking about the brother whom he'd served as Taoiseach and worked alongside. And then also that statement that was issued by Dick Spring when they had been such... <sighs> They had contested politics and political beliefs so much together through coalitions in the past, but came to enact change, work together. And you could see all of that in Dick Spring's statement. Yeah, there was three hours of statements on John Bruton in the Doyle Chamber, and it was an interesting array. Um, some people remembering him from the 1990s, other people only really know him in his context of an advocate for the European Union and for the European project. And then there were a few long in the tooth who remember John Bruton of the 1980s. And he was a different man through the decades. And um, we heard some you know, stories just about the person. Um, John Paul Feeler remembering that particular distinctive laugh he had and how the whole room would vibrate as he began to talk or his penchant for sort of, if he couldn't remember something, tapping his forehead. So you really got a sense of who the man was. Um, and there was that division between someone who was an ideologue in the 1980s, um, you know, right wing, conservative, didn't believe that the state should get involved in things. Um, and by the 1990s, he'd morphed into someone who did believe in compromise, who could bring together. And there was a coalition government, I remember as a young reporter in the uh, early 1990s, no one really felt that the Rainbow Coalition of 1994 was going to last. And it did last, and that was mainly down to John Bruton. And you mentioned Dick Spring. Um, in the 1980s, the two of them were at each other. I heard Fergus Finley speaking on RT Radio where he described John Bruton of the 1980s as the enemy. And by the 1990s, there they were, three leaders, Punchis de Rossa, mm -hmm. Dick Spring and John Bruton able to work together to coalesce and come forward, balance the budget successfully, have difficult problems and go into an election together. Unbelievably so and only lose marginally. And I thought Dick Spring's statement was really good because he talked about the differences they had, the jaw-jaw of the 1980s, but how he and his opinion of the man changed in the 1990s as they worked so closely yeah. together. And of course, that Rainbow Coalition, it did work very well. It did deliver on its programme for government. It did lay, bring through the divorce change. It did lay the foundations for economic change and, and the boom that was to come. And of course, it didn't get re-elected. Yes. It delivered everything it said it was going to. And the voters kicked them out. But also the other interesting point there, to go into coalition for John Bruton with Prunchy Starasso, you know, people talk about now, oh, that, you know, at one point you'll get Fine Gael or Fianna yeah. Fáil saying we never go in with Sinn Féin. That was as big a political Rubicon for Fine Gael back then in the 90s as anything, you know, that could be discussed now. Because he wasn't prepared to consider it in 1992. Yes. Um, and it was as he watched... Um, and gave up power because he wouldn't consider it. And then watched them for two years. 
And it was his expressed view that he watched them perform and decided that these people were serious about politics, then entered into negotiations after the Fianna Fáil Labour um, coalition collapsed and then was prepared to walk forward. So that was quite a bridge he had to cross. Some might argue that maybe he felt this was his last opportunity to be Taoiseach and therefore he was going to go. And I don't think that's fair. I think he was always someone who was principled, had his ideas, didn't trust them, looked at them and decided to change his mind. And he was open to changing his mind. And also, again, I, I think something that resonates resonates still with an awful lot of people. Um, when he said uh, on his uh, speech to the Dáil when he became Taoiseach that uh, public office is an honour yeah. and the price you have to pay for it is hard work and service. I mean... Duty. Yes, you know. integrity. And so those it, kinds of words, even his yeah. you know most critical opponents would always have said about Exactly. It. And I think that was um, someone who, like he talked about every person counts. And that was a comment made by Richard Bruton in that emotional address that he gave at the end of those three hours um, earlier on in this week, tributes to um, his brother. It was quite a thing to come in the day after your brother yeah. died and to then address the parliamentarians. Um, and he spoke about the man. And I, and I think that decency um, it was interesting that Vincent Brown, the um, rather famous journalist, he, he had a very cryptic, uh, not, sorry, not a cryptic, a very brief and yeah. succinct tweet in which he said, John Bruton was a decent man. And I think that's something everyone in the Oireachtas could agree on. Yes. And may he rest in peace. And of course, we'd be talking to you over the weekend with the funeral of events and so on. Uh, and our condolences to his family um, and to Richard in particular. Uh, let's talk now about, it's been... I mean, those scenes from the weekend in the North, Sinn Féin, Michelle O'Neill, then Richie Sunak, hugs with Richie Sunak, Leo was there as well, apparently Downing Street were too mm-hmm. pleased about, the, about all that. But it has been, I mean, Michelle O'Neill spoke about how historic it was. There was that image, wasn't there, of her walking through the corridors of Stormont, past that portrait of Martin McGuinness applauding. And it just sh- sums up what political earthquake it was. On the other hand... Then you've got Sinn Féin and the polls and another one today uh, in the Irish Times and the trend is not with them. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, Sandra's going to pick up as she's our polling correspondent in this particular (laughs) podcast. But um, yes, we've got an Irish Times behaviour and attitudes poll which suggests um, that since last September, Sinn Féin has dropped by 6% or 6 points. I think that's interesting because it's above the margin of error, which in this poll is 2.7%. That's one point. But the second thing is that there were two other polls, um, a Business Post Red Sea poll and also the Sunday Independent uh, poll as well, um, Ireland Thinks both suggesting a trend that Sinn Féin um, was uh, dropping power. And I think it was interesting to walk around Leinster House today and among the coalition politicians, they're all saying and asking the same question. Did you see the poll? Did you see the poll? What do you think? Mm -hmm. What might it mean? And it started off a little conversation about if that poll trend continues, might that have an implication for the duration of the 33rd Doyle? Could it be that Leo Varadkar, the Taoiseach, and the person whose decision it is could decide, I'm going to head to the park, have a chat mm-hmm. with Michael D. Higgins and dissolve because I feel that the cards are flowing our way, that maybe the parties of this coalition government could hit 50% and we may have yeah. a possibility of returning. And Leo Varadkar saying the polls indicating that they're all to play for. but Wide open. Been, you've been looking at the polls, Sandra. So tell us what the trends are suggesting because there do, as Paul was saying, there do appear to be trends over several polls confirming the same thing, but the detail in the latest one. Yeah, I think the important thing is, is not getting hung up in the individual numbers across yeah. different polls, but really we are seeing a trend confirmed in this poll today. Sinn Féin down six points. They've been down in other polls, the Red Sea poll and uh, the Sunday Independent one, the Ireland Thinks one as well. 
I think what's maybe a little bit more difficult is when you drill into the granular data. Obviously, the question is why, where are the votes going? But you're getting different results in different polls. So in the Irish Times poll today, it's saying that Sinn Féin is losing ground amongst uh, older voters and rural voters. Immigration, we know, has been suggested as a possibility for why they might be losing people. But if you look at the Red Sea data, two weeks ago, they do a poll that tracks every month and it's been, they compared back to, say, May 2022. Over that time, Sinn Féin has lost huge ground amongst younger voters, 18 to 34-year-olds, and it's also lost votes in Dublin. So that's telling us two contrary things. It tells you that when polls get down to the granular detail, there's a lot of fault lines in those polls. And the other caveat I would say about the poll today um, is that the level of undecideds is 25%. Now, that's really high, and what polling companies do is they exclude that 25%. They redistribute the vote um, in the sort of proportions that they have already. So you've got a huge number of voters who haven't decided yet. But another thing as well to note, of course, is that voters are not loyal anymore in the way that they used to be. And that's really significant. They're not tied the to any party. With the polls because it's not telling us how soft the support for any particular party is. And you have a sense that people might be feeling a particular way. But once a campaign opens up, it's all to play for. And they are quite open to making up their minds then. So we could see a lot of movement in what's going to be Campaigns in election. matter. Yes. But in, just looking again at the this trend for Sinn Féin and what might or might not be causing it. So on the one hand, we've had polls showing that immigration is now becoming more and more of an issue. I think up to one in five of voters say it's a it's a big priority for them, according to some of them. And of course, we have pressure coming, if you like, on the left on, over the issue of Gaza. We saw Benjamin Netanyahu rejecting the latest peace plan last night. We've also seen Palestinian protesters, weren't they... There was a disruption yes. at a Sinn Féin meeting in Belfast. And it was interesting that the person who I saw um, what happened was a um, video post by Violet Ann Wynne, the former Sinn Féin TD, who is now independent. And in it, she made a rather caustic remark. You could see um, Palestinian demonstrators um, at this Sinn Féin meeting who were upset that Sinn Féin was going to travel to Washington for St. Patrick's Day. And they felt that as a result of what was happening in Gaza, that should not happen. But um, Deputy Wynne uh, put the boot into her former party saying it may be surprise to some yeah. people but it's not a surprise to me that um, the party is al- always right and therefore if you're not with the party you're going to get sort of dealt with and that was a reference yeah. to the protesters being thrown out of the meeting. And this was one of the questions that the Irish Times uh, political editor Pat Leahy was raising about their own poll. Is it the case that Sinn Féin is having difficulty calibrating the we're ready for government, we're changed but not too much change uh, versus, you know, the opposition and hunger. So riding both those horses at the same time. Yeah, the difficulty as well is that when you grow your support, they were up in say the mid-30s in a lot of polls, then you're appealing to a broader range of people who have different positions on different issues and it's very hard to hold on to all those votes. A lot of politicians would say that when it comes to immigration, Sinn Féin are caught because they've got left-leaning voters but they also may have some of their more traditional working class voters who might be feeling pressure in immigration in their individual con- in where they live and they might want Sinn Féin to take a tougher line. That's difficult for Sinn Féin to tread. And then another point I think is that with Sinn Féin back in government in Northern Ireland, every single decision they take in that executive is going to be under 
micro scrutiny by the government here. We Rates know, and taxation. Exactly. Watch that it, space. It, it's yes. a standard thing for the government to go back and, and point out what they would see as a hypocrisy in Sinn Féin's ideology that they do something different in Northern Ireland versus what they do in the South. So they're going to. It's going to be difficult for the party, I think, to marry those two positions, those different policy positions that they're going to have to take. Yeah. One in government, one in opposition in the South. And it's interesting as well, Tommy. Of course, you know that this pitch to young people in terms of housing, and we had the data. Young people from, like you, Tommy. <laughs> yeah. Why well, am I looking at? <laughs> well, younger than us, baby. But this whole issue of, you know, housing, and that was the big issue. And it, 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 the belief is that's the issue that helped boys in Fane in the polls, particularly uh, their big pitch to younger voters. But again, coming into an election campaign, who wins, who loses, for instance, if house prices come down to 300,000. On the other hand, look at the res- re- the new data from the Residential Tenancies Board. Is that the proper RTB? Yes. Yeah. 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 And they're showing that even in rent pressure zones, the rents are up more than 5% and I think 11% for new tenancies plus. Yes, and we saw Sinn Féin return to that familiar ground again during leaders' questions because they hadn't been raising it as much uh, in recent weeks. Uh, and Pure Starty, he held up the report from the RTB and there's no way, he said, that you can positively spin this. Maybe that's where Sinn Féin needs to go back onto home ground. They made really good headway on that front. Uh, and unfortunately for the government, it doesn't appear that there will be any significant improvement on the affordability front anytime soon, not ahead of the general election that we expect to come up uh, over the coming months. Uh, again, we heard Sinn Féin making the, the popular uh, calls today for a ban on rent increases, stuff that many young people and others who are renting would, I'm sure they'd appreciate that call. Well, when rents are even going up in rent pressure zones That's where it's trouble, supposed to yeah. be 2% and it's more than double that, you'd have to wonder. That's what the, we're getting from this report, that there's... There, Rent increases are exceeding rent pressure zones. Now, Michael McGrath, the finance minister, he was taking leaders' questions today. He's, he made the point that this report wasn't specifically looking at rent pressure zones, so it wasn't designed uh, to capture rent pressure zones specifically. Uh, but I think it's, it's quite clear for all to see that, that they are raising faster th- than that uh, rent pressure zone uh, threshold. And I think on the politics of it, no matter what Michael McGrath had to say today, he was cherry-picking other statistics from the report saying things aren't that bad, existing rents only going up, not going up by a huge amount and they make up the lion's share of renewed tenancies. The government's in a very weak position here and it seems that on rent, maybe housing is turning around a little bit, commencements up hugely, lots of good indicators there, but on rent, it just doesn't seem to be making a difference and that's going to affect the minds of lots of voters. And just to add, uh, before we move on, uh, Mary Lou Macdonald saying in London, I don't know if you saw, uh, because she's they've been doing a round of interviews over there yeah. all day herself and Michelle O'Neill were also uh, Mary Lou Macdonald. Uh, was um, doubling down on that unity in touching distance comment and saying uh, there'll be a referendum on unity by 2030, she told Sky News. She also uh, said that you, the party was going to examine the polls and possibly right. review. Reflect um, the, and correct right. were the words. But without words saying used. what she might reflect, because she too then would have to say, well, what has gone wrong in the past six months? And that wasn't something she was sharing with us. She said people want specifics from Sinn Féin. What will they do? Not just criticism about government policy. And I suppose that's the point as well, that going into the general election, for the first time ever, Sinn Féin could potentially lead a government. So their policies are under more scrutiny than ever. And I think the party now is really feeling the heat from that spotlight. I think there was a sense in Sinn Féin 
after the 2019 local elections. They had a disappointing performance during those local elections. And when senior members of the party got together to assess why, one of the feelings was that they were too negative and that they needed to focus on perhaps more positivity, positivity but also uh, putting forward a message mm -hmm. of how they would correct things. They were able to turn around, turn it around for the 2020 general election. Um, so maybe they're up for the task this time, but it will be a tricky mm -hmm. one. The other issue, of course, that's bubbling away in the background, these ongoing arson attacks, these ongoing protests. Um, it's getting to the stage now where, particularly in terms of where, you know, people are going to uh, be put when they seek asylum here. Is government able to govern? I think we've had 18 so far. Uh, the most recent in, in Leakslip. Uh, and it's a difficult one for the government because people are saying that we're not seeing individuals held to account. And there have been recent arrests, but I suppose that's a matter for Angarda Siakona and they have to prove courts, individuals yes. are involved. Um, but uh, on the immigration front as a, as a whole, it's, it's a really difficult issue for the government. I mean, Paul Murphy was standing up in the Doyle today and he said there have been 26 attacks over the past five years. And he sort of said that the government was effectively fiddling while buildings were burning. And he um, equated that with uh, effective right-wing terrorism. And then he went on to name certain individuals who he said were campaigning around the country at such buildings. And the Cam Corla, Sean O'Farrell, intervened just to say, well, need to be very careful when you're, um, it's something you say in the thought could be interpreted as um, uh, as being sort of associated with a crime. So it, it was a very tetchy um, thing. Michael McGraw was standing in for um, the Taoiseach or the Thornish that Michael Martin is currently in the United States and he was responding that um, what you have to do is to support the Garvey. He said these are complicated issues. You can't protect every building and um, the government is doing everything everything, uh, everything it possibly can. But you can just see this is, is a problem. It's also a political problem. And um, just to add it to all the other issues and problems they have when it comes to dealing with the 100,000 yeah. people from Ukraine and also 13,000, who knows how many it's going to be this year, seeking international protection. And speaking of policing, of course, uh, there's to be a new GSOC and a number of questions for GSOC as they depart the stage, Tommy. Yeah, the new body will be called FISRU. Uh, it's the new office uh, of the Ombudsman uh, and is due to begin work in July. Uh, they were before the Public Accounts Committee today. They were talking about this uh, new body that will be established, the new structures that will be in place. They were saying that they'll need double the staff uh, to try and get through what will be a lot more work. Um, but politicians also took the opportunity as well to go through a few of the recent controversies that, mm -hmm. that GSOC have been involved in, because I think there's a feeling amongst some politicians that there could be an improvement in how uh, GSOC does their work. Well, there was questioning around the time of the Dublin riots, wasn't there, that had Gardaí been unwilling to use the force they were entitled to use to restore order on the streets because of the drift uh, within GSOC in recent the delay times. delay in make, making the, a determination. Yeah. yeah. Deputy Paul McAuliffe uh, brought this up. He said that Gardaí were, were looking over their shoulder. Now, the head of GSOC today said that actually when it comes to deciding the parameters as, as to how uh, a guard can respond in terms of force, that's actually a matter for the commissioner. And then also uh, Emily Logan who was with GSOC, she also made the point that following the riots, they, they issued a survey to members, Garda members who were at the riots that night about their feelings in terms of the use of force. And she said that the findings showed that only 5% of members felt that they could not uh, adequately or they felt that they weren't supported uh, to use force uh, in, in the way right. that they might have wanted. So they were kind of pushing back on that front, actually saying that it's not perhaps as big an issue as, as maybe we thought at the time.
right. Uh, Sandra, I want to talk to you about the problem with 56-year-old men, but before we do, um, I'm conscious that... Um, Thank God it's not me. That this <laughs> afternoon as we're talking, um, the Irish basketball team is in a really difficult situation in Israel. There's been a lot of controversy over their game. Um, Minister for Sport, Thomas Byrne, has been talking about foreign policy being the issue for government, but you... And of course, the after that statement from one of the Israeli players about Ireland being anti-Semitic, uh, the basketball team uh, won't be doing the traditional handshakes, the traditional gifts, and they'll be lining up at their own bench and not the centre court for the national anthem. And all of this, and it's interesting, you know, it's all those questions about politics and sport, but, you know, you've Netanyahu last night, there had been some hope that some kind of a truce could be brokered and prisoners released and aid get in. And Netanyahu said, no, total victory, war, we're continuing for a few more months and they're moving on Rafa now. Yeah, I mean, to a certain extent, one can't just take what the Israeli Prime Minister says as being straightforward. So it may be just a bargaining point and I don't believe it's the possibility of a truce is gone and an extended one uh, in that, including the exchange of prisoners, but certainly um, for the Irish basketball team, they really find themselves in the line of fire. The Minister for Sport was trying to defend them, saying one should seek for direction from the government, not from the individual players. But if you go back through time, whether it was go back to LA Olympics 1984, Moscow Olympics 1980, sport and politics can come and get embroiled um, mm -hmm. together and those basketball players one really feels for them and um, that they find themselves in the middle of a, such a controversy and I think we have to say is that it doesn't look as if that conflict in Israel and Gaza is going to end anytime soon so this is an issue which is we're going to be coming back to it isn't going to end with basketball and I saw one report um, this afternoon that the US Secretary of State Antony Blinken um, that he's uh, talking to some members of Netanyahu. Of course, he's leading this unity government at the moment. Um, it's still very, very right. It isn't yes, full unity, if yes. you know what I mean. But, so, I mean, so one of the questions that's been asked is whether Benjamin Netanyahu himself at this stage wants a truce because of the implications for his own political career. Well, given where he comes from, he was someone who has always seen that, always been hardline. And one of the issues why it came as a shock that he vowed to continue in office after the massacres of October 7th was this was the politician who promised safety and instead what happened to the country experienced the worst attack since the foundation of the state. So how could it be that someone had made such a grievous error was allowed to continue? I do think you have to take in context though that when he talks about total victory um, when you speak to Israeli diplomats as I would do uh, both in Israel and elsewhere they'll say well that's what we say. But we don't believe there's going to be total victory. Why? Because Hamas leadership is in Qatar anyway and in Turkey. And even if you have killed an awful lot of the fighters, does anyone truly believe that Hamas uh, as an entity is going to disappear? The answer is no. There will be no total victory. Um, before I move on to the 56-year-old men, we've had a couple of bits of news on EU nominations, haven't we, Tommy? I think Kathleen Funchen's the latest name. Yes, running in Ireland south uh, for Sinn Féin, we expect, uh, along with uh, Paul Given. Uh, and then we have also had Fianna Fáil select their candidates. So Barry Andrews will uh, run in Dublin again. Uh, Billy Kelleher will run again in, in Ireland south. And, and Barry Cowan selected in uh, Midlands northwest. Um, 
two other candidates were seeking that nomination as well, Lisa Chambers and Niall Blaney. Uh, and I think Fianna Fáil does intend on running two people. So mm-hmm. people will be interested to see who they select. Will it be Lisa Chambers or, or will it be Niall Blaney? They're also, I think, hoping to run two candidates in Ireland South. So we wait who the second person will be there. Uh, in terms of Dublin, it, it'll just be Barry Andrews. But is this a mail and stay lineup? That's the question, Sandra, isn't <laughs> yes, it? Yes, well, this was something that was raised by the Fine Gael MEP Maria Walsh. Uh, she represents Midlands Northwest and she pointed out that the three Fianna Fáil nominees who uh, Tommy's mentioned there that they are all 56 year old men and she said that they were male pale and stale so I think it's something that attracted her a little bit of attention I suppose at a time when you know she's looking for headlines but it does make you think that maybe when it comes to um, the Fianna Fáil ticket they might need a woman in there somewhere so that would put potentially favour Lisa Chambers uh, over Niall Blaney uh, interesting to know and also, there was some d- well, there was some discussion, wasn't there, around Fianna Fáil appointing a man to run the referendum campaign when they've got Minister Mary Butler and Minister Anne Rabbit, whose ministries kind of certainly tie in with care. Yeah, that didn't go down well, I think, among some people in the parties, uh, in the party. And I can't remember at the moment, but it's it's a junior minister, male junior minister who Fianna Fáil appointed. Can you, to the... Thomas, was it Thomas Byrne? Was Thomas it Thomas Byrne? Byrne? Okay, I yes, think it was, for the yeah. referendums, yeah. Yeah. Uh, just getting back to the European elections, Fine Gael in Dublin, we haven't seen them narrow down the field there yet because several people have put their hand up and said they want to run. So you've got the Senator, Regina Doherty, you've got the Minister, Josefa Madigan, uh, Barry Ward, Senator, he has been mentioned as well. Am I missing other people? No, but we've seen, say, someone like Neil Richmond, who's come mm-hmm. out in favour of his constituency, a fellow yes, constituency, convenient, yeah, pretty yes. conveniently, Josefa Madigan. Yeah. Madigan great thing. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's in play, but yes. no, we have they haven't come down and decided just yet. And I think it's interesting to see just how Sinn Féin also plays this one because last time out they didn't do as well as they wanted. This time they feel, despite those polls, that they got the win behind them. Mm. But you have to manage it. Campaigns matter. Yeah. And the Sinn Féin, I believe, are putting up Lynn Boylan and Dahi Doolan. But I wonder then if Lynn Boylan, she's been building in Dublin Southwest. If she goes for the doll there, then that would mean if she if she we presume that Sinn Féin has a good chance of getting a seat in Dublin. So if you could see the moving parts there, you could see Lynn Boylan go to Europe for a year, going potentially. And then, yes, going back to Europe and then going to Dublin Southwest and you could have her running mate co-opted then. So that'll be the first question she'll be asked when she sits down to say, are you exactly. prepared to give a commitment that you will fulfil the five-year term? And while yes. all of this European and local election campaigning is building up a storm here uh, and across Europe, of course, uh, they, I mean, the odds seem to be very much in favour, don't they, of a UK election? Let's speculate on that before <laughs> we go. Uh, poor old Rishi Sunak, his problems just seem to get deeper and deeper, don't they? Sometimes he, he looks as if he likes wading into the middle of us. I mean... He, and he was hugging Michelle O'Neill. A lot of Tories very upset about that. But, you know, at the dispatch box, he was engaging Keir Starmer and, and gender wars and all the oh, rest yeah. of it. That was a um, bad look. And so I think that to a certain extent, to the Conservatives who clearly look at the poll ratings, believe that things are going badly, that division can sometimes help. And that seems to be something that they're walking towards. November was the date we thought there would be an election. Some people now are speculating it could be May. I can't really see the advantage for Rishi Sunak just yet Put out of an out earlier. Of misery? <laughs> well, once you're the top dog, you might like it. And so maybe Leo Varadkar might also just look at, you know, February of 2025 as being a far more interesting time to do it than pulling the plug in May. One of the ideas behind Rishi Sunak maybe going a little earlier, maybe uh, I've heard the day September being put forward as well, is that he has a lot of factions now within the Conservative Party. And even this week, we saw Liz Truss with her PopCon event. Uh, yeah, they seem about... to be trying to out-Republican the Republicans at the moment. Or yes. out-Farage, Farage. Farage. 
which doesn't help in terms of getting a majority at the next election and returning to government. But I think maybe they've they've made the calculation they don't expect to return to government. And actually, this is a battle for the soul of the Conservative Party. And the Conservatives are due to have their, their party conference in September. Maybe it might be helpful if he went earlier than that, because otherwise that party conference would be dominated by division and all these groups uh, battling for attention. Okay. Oh, and we didn't see any photograph of Rishi Sunak and Leo Varadkar last Monday at uh, Stormont. And I think there was a few eyebrows raised at that, that perhaps the, there was a feeling that maybe the British side weren't that happy to see the Taoiseach there, that they that felt it that, their it, photo that it was their photo day. opportunity, but uh, I'm sure the Irish side would reject that. But uh, interesting, we only saw the, the two of them together, I think, in a they did meet early on, didn't they? Yes. They had a handshake early on, but they didn't do a public kind of event. And Leo Fradker got a kiss from the two first ministers and Rishi Sunak did not upon their arrival. I, know, I saw that <laughs> oh, on that Twitter as well. That was why the hub came later on. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so on that note, we leave you all. Thanks for joining us and we'll be back with you again next Thursday. Bye. Bye.